0: Oh yeah, welcome, guys. If you're new here, uh, this is what we do every week. We kind of uh, read the Bible, uh, sing praises to God, and, and just be with each other. And enjoy one another's company. So I hope that you feel welcomed. Um, it's it's really uh, yeah, it's great to to take time out to do this um, on a Sunday, on our busy schedules. And so I'm just praying that, um, that God would use this time really well. Um, yeah, I guess when Gab asked me to preach, um, I knew what. Uh, I don't know, that was a real privilege it is. And I just want to say that uh, it's not an easy thing to prepare a message. And this is like, I had like a month to do this this thing. But week in and week out, Gavin and kind of like tackle it and, and do such a good job for our church. I just want to honour them. And I think, yeah, would you help me just thank them for what they do? <laughs> yeah, please. You know, on top of like preaching and stuff, they, they tackle, um, you know, running a family, running a church, uh, praying for us. They meet up with us. And so they do such a good job. Um, and I've just realised that it. it's, a, it's a tricky thing to be a pastor. <laughs> um, yeah, so before we get stuck in, I just want to, um, to ask God to be with us and, and just work through His word. So if you pray with me, that'd be awesome. Our loving God, we, we know that you tell us that if you're for us, then who can be against us? And therefore, Lord, we find our security in your arms, the arms of the loving Father who has declared his eternal love for us in Jesus Christ. As we gather tonight, Lord, to hear from you, please comfort us in our various afflictions. Remind us that in Christ, your love does not waver, but it's constant and unending. Lord, please take the truths that are in your word and apply them to our hearts and minds so that we might be full of joy. And not a joy that circumstances can take away in a moment, but the deeper joy, the unalterable joy that comes from knowing we are in you and you are in us forever. Amen. So um, I've got a confession to make. I've been told that the church is a safe place, so um, I'm just going to come out and say it. I love council cleanups, I absolutely love them. Um, yeah, I'm a minority, uh, I know that, um, and I think it's got something to do with like being a hoarder or something, I don't know. But um, this is a safe place, so I think I, think I, can, uh, I can feel safe to admit my faults as a human being. Amy though, on the other hand, my wife hates it. She hates my obsession with junk. Um, you know, the worst part is uh, we have to share our share a house together. <laughs> <laughs> and I come home with like old stereos or like broken like um, record players, and I'm like, hey, look what I found! Like I'm gonna try and fix this, and she's like, that is not staying here. Like, like I don't know where you're going to put that, but do not put that in your house. Um, you know, and I, I think like the thing I find the most appealing about these things is is they're broken. But someone put so much effort into making them that originally, like they were like, they were someone's prized possession, you know. Um, and over the years I've found like old records or like old surfboards or like I said, old stereos. And I just love the fact that you can find them and like fix them up or like, I don't know, just reuse them for something else. Um, there's so much value in them. Um, and I, I love kind of working out how they work and seeing if I can restore them. Um, this one time, this is how bad my session is, this one time Amy and I, Amy was coming home from work and I surprised her at the gate. I was like, babe, I think it's a good idea if we just go for a walk around the neighborhood and catch up on our days. <laughs> and I was like, I was like. I was, I was like, let's just go for a romantic stroll around the neighbourhood, I don't know like, <laughs> it didn't take long before Amy knew what I was doing Like there was bridges and like stuff all over the place she knew what my ul- ulterior motive was um, I just want to say that I don't think there's any reason why you can't do a romantic stroll and to jump like, it can at the same time <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I, think, I think my love for cancel cleanups is Biblical um, I'm going to defend that today, I'll, I'll stay there. Um And the, the reason why is this passage I think we're, we're in today reminds me of why I love cleanups. It's, it's the idea that even though our world is broken, and even though uh, we're the ones who've made the mess, um, God can take what we have broken and redeem it. He can take what once seemed useless, uh, and He can salvage and renew it. Um, you know, we're, t- we're shown that our God isn't a God of, of, like, failed projects, you know. He's not going to... Um, his, his plans won't fail. Uh, God's greater than our mistakes. He's greater than our failures. He's greater than our weakness. And He's greater than our sin. And the Bible presents this idea in, in numerous ways, that no matter how powerful the power of evil is, it's not going to spoil God's plans. And the story that, that the Bible portrays is the story that we ourselves are in. It's this story of, of redemption for a world that's fallen and broken. Um, it's, and the thing that blows my mind is the fact that God chose to restore the world by sending His Son. Um, it was costly for God. It wasn't just something that He, he could do. Like, we had messed it up and He had to uh, present His Son in order for us to be redeemed. Um, And that's the kind of God that we worship, Um, a a sacrificing God that that gives of himself. He's He's an outward giving God. And Revelation 21 describes the fullness of redemption. And it says this, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, For the former things have passed away. And if that's what our future looks like as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if God is if we're going to be completely restored and in God's fullest presence forever, what do we think of now when our lives are full of pain? I I don't know if you've ever found yourself questioning God's goodness when you're facing the darkness of life. I wonder if you've ever fallen into the trap of believing that if your lives aren't going well or or if things are taking a turn for the worst, that, that God is—I don't know—somehow given up on you, or He's just powerless. Um, I wonder if you've ever found yourself asking if you're faced with the prospect of like losing a job, or um, or struggling with sickness. Have you ever asked what is God doing in this situation? Perhaps it's you're, you're, you struggle with mental illness, or um, you're crippling. Yeah, you just have a crippling sense of, of fear and guilt, and I just need. What does God want to say to us? What does God want to say to us in this message? And the, one of the things that I want to do is, is look at this passage and see that we're not going to avoid the secret of suffering. We're not, sorry, we're not, we're not going to find the secret of avoiding suffering. Um, we're going to find the reason to endure and the reason to follow Him. And you know, we have a lot to learn from suffering from God's, God's Word and through His promises to us. And as we examine this section of Romans, I think there's really three points that I want to, I want to hit on. Um, the first point is, is just suffering and glory. The second point is the spirit interceding. And the third point is that we're safe enough to love. Suffering and glory, the spirit interceding and safe enough to love. And so in order to understand this passage, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of where we are in salvation history. Uh, we, we, we know that um, on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus said it is finished, right? He took care of the powers of sin and death. And that wasn't in some sentimental sense. He actually accomplished that. Um, but we also live in this not yet fullness of God's create, uh, fullness of God's restoration. We were waiting for our adoption as children. Um, we haven't received our inheritance fully. We're God's children now, but we haven't fully experienced what that, what that, you know, consummation will be like, and so that, this is where we find ourselves in this, this kind of now but not yet period of salvation history. So, with this in mind, let's, let's just uh, jump into the first uh, two verses. So, uh, verse seventeen and eighteen, uh, Paul says this to the Roman church. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs; with then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So just one question I want to ask is, what does he mean by sharing in his sufferings? I think simply put, um, it's this idea of any suffering that we face as followers of Jesus in this world. When we think about suffering and and how Paul talks about suffering, I think there's, there's generally three categories. The first is the suffering because of faith. I think for many disciples throughout history, suffering came mainly because they were themselves were followers of Jesus, nothing, nothing more. They might suffer the loss of homes or face prison, but basically they're, they're persecuted under the laws and customs of the surrounding culture. And we see this still happening today. Um, if, you, if you get the chance, Frontline Faith, that magazine that Open Doors puts out, really like, portrays uh, what our brothers and sisters are going through. And it's, it's just this suffering because of purely their faith in Jesus. We're lucky, I think, in Australia. We we don't experience suffering to this uh, degree. Um, And so I think we're called uh, to be aware of what's going on around the world and really um, uh, stand uh, firm with our brothers and sisters around the world. Secondly, I think there's a suffering that comes from the fall. You know, we live in a broken world with broken bodies. Um, We have a broken environment. And and there's consequences. There's consequences of the fall. And that's the reality of death and loss and grief. And, and we just feel things aren't the way they're supposed to be. The, the creative order that God called good has been upset by our sin. And now, in between the goodness, there's pockets of darkness and evil. And we struggle daily. And from, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, this is just assumed to be true. Um, and Jesus said to his disciples, In this world you will have much suffering, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I think this is, this is the kind of suffering we're more familiar with in Australia. Uh, thirdly, I think there's a suffering that happens directly because of sin. And this is just the direct consequences of our simple choices that have direct, um, uh, you know, happenings in the world. You know, sometimes we might suffer through someone else's sin. And I'm thinking of things like, I don't know, uh, sex trafficking or something. Someone's, someone's intended act of evil has an effect on someone else's life, um, you know. And these three types of suffering have something in common. They just produce pain in our lives. They produce pain. And what does Paul want us to know about our present suffering? I think, I think that's the main question I want to hit these two verses with. What, what, is he, what does he want to know, us to know about that? And from this passage, I think it's obvious that he's not saying that as Christians you're going to receive a, a privileged life or, or a life immune to suffering. Uh, just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't give you an exemption from all of these things. Or to put it another way, just because you suffer, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And I don't think we can understand entirely God's reasons behind why we suffer. We can't see the bigger picture of what he's weaving together in history. But from this passage, from Paul's words, we can always say with confidence that our God is working for our good. And it doesn't always mean a comfortable or carefree life. That's not what he means by our good. It means from now on, no longer are our lives marked, no longer are our lives a road marked with suffering towards the eternal grave. Instead, God is using the suffering that we face to become a tool to sanctify us. And we're heading on an an inevitable trajectory towards glory. And speaking of this, one of my favorite preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, has this awesome quote. Um, He knows uh, the, the fact that God can use suffering for his good. He says, I'm afraid that all the grace I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I've received from my sorrows and my pains and my griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It's the best book in a minister's library. And I think he knew that God can use the suffering that he faces as a tool in God's hands to accomplish his purposes, namely his own sanctification headed towards future glory. Therefore, I think our basis of trust in God never rests on our circumstances, but it always rests upon what Jesus did for us at the cross. It always goes back to the revelation of Jesus at the cross for us. As Paul says later in the passage to remind us, he says, if God did not spare his own son how will he not graciously give us all things? He's just fleshing out the lavish love of God. He's saying that this is God's overflow, just an overflow of God's nature. And if we unpack it a bit more, he's saying that since we've received the ultimate gift of grace and mercy, if God has been faithful to show his love to us at a time when we were his enemies, why, why on earth would he be any different now that we've been brought into his family and adopted as sons and daughters? And again, to quote Spurgeon, I think Spurgeon knew uh, just just the brilliance of of, um, God's ability to work in his life. He said, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. And if I can't trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. I love that quote. Yeah, I love it so much. Um, And God's heart has been revealed in Jesus, who was the messenger of, of love to a hurting world what this quote is saying is that our circumstances can't ever dictate our theology. Jesus does. So if suffering is the norm for us as Christians, if it's just, if if this is the path that we have to walk uh, leading to glory, um, what helps us endure? I think verse 18 um, addresses this question. So let's read, read that with you. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings ...are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul's putting this this, uh, image of like an ancient scale. You know how you had like two things on on, on the scale and they were supposed to balance out and you'd call them equal? He's saying that if you were to put the sufferings that you face, everything that you go through in this life on one side of the scale... And then let's let's imagine that we take the future glory that is going to be revealed to and put on the other side. He's, he's going to say that they're going kind to of bottom out. They're not equal, and more than that, it's, you're not going to find a scale big enough, uh, and it's not even worth comparing because they're on completely different levels. And I think it's worthwhile noting just who Paul was who said this, you know, he, he's not just some dude who had a carefree life and he's just saying, you know, just, just come through life, it's going to be okay. He was beaten with rods several times uh, for proclaiming Jesus and he was actually stoned until the point where they thought he was dead and they stopped, you know, like he suffered a lot. Uh, he has a whole list of things that he, that he kind of lists out in his, in his uh, letters. Um, some of them feature he was shipwrecked, he'd gone without food, shelter, sleep, um, he said he'd worked extremely hard and he'd, he'd been cold and naked and he'd been in prison. Like this man wasn't comparing a life of luxury, he was comparing a, a life full of trials. Yet he could still say that, that what is to come will make our afflictions seem light. <sighs> yeah, it's crazy. One time, um, this is just to illustrate this point, one time me and my schoolmates went down to Tassie. Like we, we all piled in my old VL Commodore and we headed down to Tasmania. Um, yeah, you can get there in a car. You can, you can get on, on a boat from Melbourne to Tassie. So we drove down to Melbourne uh, and we jumped on the spirit of Tasmania. Um, I had no idea what the spirit of Tasmania was. I just knew it was a big boat and it could fit like a thousand cars. So I, was just, I actually expected like a boat with like a casino and maybe like, a <laughs> theatre or like some sort of spawners and spas or something. Like, I, was, I was really this because I was like, this boat must be the biggest boat I've ever seen in my life. Um, We didn't have any money, so we didn't pay for like, we didn't pay for a room or anything, we just paid for a seat on the ship. um, It was rough, so we spent like 8 hours in a car from Sydney to Melbourne, no air conditioning, full of like sweaty like teenagers. Um, We we were full of like, I think we had like surfboards, camping gear, bikes in the back, Um, you name it, we were packed to the rafters in this car. Uh, eight hours down there, we slept on like just swags that night, jumped on the spirit of Tasmania. And to my surprise, it wasn't a luxury cruise ship. The, the seats that we paid for were basically like the Manly ferry. Like it was just like plastic chairs uh, for nine hours, and like you couldn't like you couldn't get comfortable at all. Like you kind of like lean over and like it hurt your back a little bit, so you have to shift again. It was horrible. It was it was honestly one of the most excruciating trips of my life. Um, but after, after the whole thing, after that whole ordeal that we went through, and we docked at Tassie and just drove, um, drove off the boat and started exploring, um,
1: we just felt a sense of freedom, you know? We were, we were free to go
0: anywhere. We were free to swim in any icy river we wanted, free to eat any bit of fruit off the side of the road. Tasmania has... <laughs> that's, that's a good thing about books. Tassie has so <laughs> many fruit trees, it's weird. It's like a garden of <laughs> Eden. or something. It doesn't apricot trees everywhere. Um, yeah, anyway, search wood. Yeah, come on, get it together. We're driving. This illustration has a point, I promise. Um, we're driving down to Marion Bay, and we just, the freedom of the destination made the journey seem worth it. Um, it made everything that we went through to get there worthwhile. And I think Paul is, that's what Paul's saying. That's, that's just one illustration of what Paul's saying. And I think, what if we were mentally to take a list of the things that we're facing right now, like all of the hurts, all of the sorrows, all of the doubts, all of the pain, and then apply what Paul is saying to them. Apply his words when he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. I don't know if we can truly believe that. It's such an audacious claim. But what God is saying that, yes, you should believe that. And I want to say that if we do believe that, that changes how we live our lives now. This isn't just some, like, grit your teeth and bear it until the end. That actually frees us up right now. The hope that we've been saved into transforms how we encounter and face suffering in our lives. And more than that, God is with us every step of the way For us to live into this reality, I think we have to be a people who take God's promises and just stake our lives on them. God's saying that that all of the things that are causing real grief and real anguish and real hurt, He's saying, yes, they do hurt and I know they hurt. I've entered your world. But He's saying that nothing is going to compare with what I'm going to do in you and for you. And to be honest, that's a truth that's hard for me to grapple with. Um, And I I think we're going to see further on that the Spirit helps helps us believe that in our lives, but also it just comes back to Jesus. We know that he has loved us enough in Jesus Christ to know that he's going to carry his work out to completion. So let's explore this idea of glory being revealed to us. What what does this mean? What does he mean by the glory that's going to be revealed to us? I think the Bible kind of fleshes that out in a number of spots, and it's, it's just this product, it's the final product where God brings us into our final state as Christians, as his children. It's the completion of his work that he started in us, where we're going to be set free from sin forever. It's being conformed to the likeness of his son. He's conforming us to his son day by day and ultimately we will be like Jesus. 1 John 3.2 says it this way, When he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And this, this, isn't, this has nothing to do with our own work. This is everything that Jesus is doing in us. And it's all tied up with us being co-heirs with Christ. Our, glorifi- our glorification means that we share with Jesus and everything that Jesus has, and everything that Jesus accomplished. And that's, that's tied up with being in perfect communion with God as well. When we become full participants in the divine nature. And that's not to say that we become divine ourselves, but we enjoy the benefits of what God is. We, get, we, get, uh, we just fall into the river of, of, of who God is. And we're able to enjoy just the preciousness of, of God's, um, just God himself. 2 uh, Peter says it this way, God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may, be, you may become partakers of the divine nature. The other night in, in our MCG, uh, Jono brought up the fact that he... I love how Jono thinks sometimes. <laughs> um, he brought up the fact that he just loves to think on how happy God is. That's a, I don't, I've never thought of that. I've never thought of that, but I love that because it's true. God in, in himself is the happiest being there is. He, he's totally satisfied in himself. He's existed in a community of love forever. Not needing anything, not wanting anything, and when we're glorified, we're brought into that happiness. That's that's incredible. We we become internally satisfied in Him and His presence, and I think my mind finds that fully, fully hard to grasp. Um, and I don't think we're able to. I don't. I really don't. But we've been given a glimpse, as it says. You know, we've we've tasted the first fruits. So, in knowing that, let's let's move on. Um, what does what does uh, what does God's Spirit have to do with our, with our suffering? Now that's our next question, the Spirit and his groaning. Uh, so reading on, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I think from, from this little section we see that this, the creation is groaning, that we're groaning, and the Spirit groans on our behalf. And this this groaning word, what what an unusual word, but it's it's the same word that the Israelites used when they were in Egypt and they groaned to be set free. It's it's tied up to a a longing for what is to come. Like, And Paul says, like a mother who might groan in labor, Like she knows that it's painful uh, for a time, but the process is bringing forth new life. Um, I'm not a woman. (laughs) You've got to believe me on that. Um, but, But... what I hear from, from other mums' testimonies is, is that giving birth to a child is hard, and painful, and, and a long process. Um, <laughs> like, oh, come on. But, um, I've, ne- I've never met a mum yet who has said, yeah, my child's alright, but like, definitely wasn't worth the labour moments. Like, definitely was not worth the labour <laughs> Like,
1: how absurd. And that's not what we're going to say either when we enter
0: glory, you know. Um, In the same way, we're groaning in a similar way. We're going through a long and painful process. But the end result is the redemption of our bodies and the fullness of adoption into God's family. And as as, um, Dunstan touched on last week, as Christians, we've been given a new perspective on the world through the Spirit's witness. Through His witness, we understand the brokenness of the world on a deeper level. Um, we, we've been, uh, we've tasted, you know, what is to come. We've been given a foretaste of what is to come through the assurance of the Spirit in our lives. But we also look around and we see our depravity and our fallenness as, as human beings. And so I just think when we look around and see injustice and violence and neglect and abuse, uh, we we can't help but groan because we know we were made for something more. And as Christians, I think we should be the ones who have the most compassion. We should should be more attuned to the needs of others around us because um, we just know that that, uh, there is so much more that God wants to do in the world uh, by adopting uh, more and more into his family. And this groaning, I think, is just a longing to be set free. Um, Yeah, and as his children, I think we've been enabled by the certain hope that the Spirit brings within us uh, to, to love this broken world and to take risks knowing that our eternal home awaits us, knowing that we're secure in God's arms.
1: So leading on from these verses, and if we know we haven't been left
0: alone, um, God's Spirit is called the Comforter in in other places of the Bible. And this is kind of what Paul is saying, he's kind of fleshing out God's comforting role through the Spirit. And he says that the Spirit is going to pray for us when when we're just weak and we don't even know where to begin. Um... I just think that should be a tremendous comfort to all of us. Uh, if, we're, if we're in the middle of a trial, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you're just in the middle of something you're going through and you just don't see the end of it. You have no idea where you're going. You have no idea how it's going to turn out, how it's going to pan out. And God is saying that my spirit is in you to pray for you uh, on your behalf, to pray for, the, for your good on your behalf. Um, a couple of years back, I, I, I did a trip to South America and I, I t- kind of took a lot of risks. Um, and I found myself in Ecuador with some Australians and we were just surfing up and down the coast and um, one of us actually got a gash on they cut their calf pretty badly and it started to get infected and um, we, I don't know, I knew a little bit of Spanish but I had no idea how to like get to a hospital ask where the hospital was or anything like that we, we just felt so just afraid and vulnerable um, and it, things weren't looking good but luckily for us we met this um, local who could speak English and Spanish fluently and he knew exactly where the hospital was. So when we got to the hospital, he was able to tell the doctors exactly what was wrong, and then he was able to relay to us like what what the doctors are going to do and how they're going to fix you up and stuff. Um, And it was just such a comfort to know that someone was with us who knew what we needed and knew how to ask for that help. And in the same way, we're often at a loss to find the words, to, to know what to ask for, and to know how to ask for help. But this passage is saying that I've given, God is saying, I've given you my comforter to be with you always and to be interceding for you always. To be praying for you on your behalf always. What an assurance. What, what, a, what a beautiful picture of God's comfort in our lives through our trials. Finally, I think I just want to leave us with, with like a challenge. Um, this is my final point I've titled, Safe Enough to Love. Um, I think our destination as as Christians should greatly affect our journey. If our eternal home is secure, then we're secure now. The resurrection and future glory means we don't have to chase things that are going to pass away. What a futile exercise that would be if that's all we did with this life. Because actually our our true life is in the one to come, God says, where I'm going to bring you into the fullness of adoption. And and I guess if that's true, then no circumstance in our life now, no matter how good, could compare with what's to come. And and what Paul says, he's, he's going to say the flip side, and more importantly, no circumstance no matter how bad could ever outweigh the eventual and certain glory that God will give to us as his children. I wonder if we could get our, like, on average, 70 to 80 years on earth to the eternal age to come. I wonder if we took part in that exercise, and, and I think it would become clear which is the period of time that we want to invest our lives in, want to stake our, our investment on, set our minds on, live for. And I think Jesus said in the parable, you know, like, like the man who sold everything he owned to buy the field with the treasure in it. He saw something far more valuable than, than what he had, which was, which was uh, that, that treasure in the field. And, and like that, we've been given every reason to bank on the security being in the age to come. And we're supposed to live our lives accordingly. <sighs> I think We follow a suffering saviour, you know, and, and he said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you as well. You know, like following Jesus is hard, but we know that he's leading us on to glory. You know, he laid down his life for us. He willingly went to the cross for us. And and all he does now is just ask us to love the world in the same manner, knowing that we're eternally safe and secure in his arms. And we're not earning anything by the suffering. I just want to, you know, reiterate that. We're not adding to our salvation. But we get to imitate our saviour who desires that we leave behind our selfish natures and walk in the newness of life that he's given us. Now, our our future home has freed us up to be wasteful. Wasteful in in ways in which we love the world around us. You know, we're safe enough to love others around us. I often think think we just, um, I don't know, we're so protective of of the here and now. We we forget our eternal home, our eternal security. We We should be the people who have the most reason to love the world. You know, we're secure to care for the needy and we're loved enough to endure all things. That's what, I, I just feel like that's what God is saying to us, uh, especially in this passage. You are loved enough to endure. Um, a famous missionary uh, to Ecuador named Jim Elliott, uh, he, he kind of got this truth. Uh, he he staked his life upon the one to come, the life to come. And um, one of his best quotes that I love, um, you might have heard it, but I'm going to read it. Uh, he says this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I read that again. I'm dyslexic. I kind of find it hard to follow. (laughs) He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Yeah, I I love that. He got it. He got it. Our lives now are like a fleeting breath in the scope of eternity. Our future glory means we're not going to miss out. We're not going to miss out. Our better days are ahead. So let's just live for God, knowing that He's set His seal upon us. He's declared, in doing so, He in setting His seal, in placing His Spirit inside us, He's declared that you are my beloved son or daughter. With you I am well pleased. I just think we are so, so loved by God and we're so secure in His arms. Like that should change everything about how we live our lives. Just with that, I just, I just want to close by praying and ask man to come up. And we're going to have a bit of just time to pray. I uh, just encourage you to pray in your own, um, own time and uh, just reflect on, on God's love for you. So let's pray for more, give us some time to, to reflect. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before you uh, as your children. So thankful uh, for the security that you've brought us into. So thankful uh, that you haven't left us alone as orphans in the world, but you've chosen, uh, out of your love and mercy, to adopt us as your children, to set us free uh, from from the bonds of, of decay and sin and death, and bring us into eternal hope, where we look forward to the fullness of redemption, uh, yeah, the redemption of our bodies and eternal life with you, uh, Lord. I just I just pray that you would you would. Speak that into our hearts. Make that real now. Um, Lord, when we are facing the darkness, when we are facing trials, and, and, and when we are suffering, and we have no idea what is going on in our lives, Lord, have us stake our our identity upon who you have made us, and, and the fact that, that uh, we are secure in your arms. Yeah. Lord, I just pray for us as a church, and for as, as a, a body of believers, God, you would be, be glorified through us, And, um, yeah, Lord, please use us uh, to glorify you. Uh, Yeah, amen. Amen. Take some time, guys.